G'day everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bare Necessities Podcast. Another week, another episode, Samuel. And they just keep getting bigger. Who have we got on today? Oh, we, well, this man needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. Um, oh. He played 120 games for the West Coast Eagles, kicked 25 goals. He was a defender in the Premiership in 2006. He was an All-Australian in 2012. Welcome to the podcast, Bo Waters. Hey, lads, how you going? We are very good. We're very excited to have you on. We've had a number of guests on, and this one's probably more our, our niche because we, we love our footy and yeah. hopefully some exciting uh, conversations. But to kick us off, um, not playing any footy anymore, but you're doing Ironman. Is that, what's that like? Yeah, so obviously retired quite a few years ago now and then transitioned to doing some sort of Ironman events. Uh, started with a half Ironman and then then did the full Ironman and managed to get over to Kona a couple of times and do the, the world championship there. Um, subsequently, I think I've even retired from that in the last couple of years too. So I did that. I'm one of the few, few people that retired from two two sports and now living a life of leisure in the last couple of years since moving back to Australia from the US. Do you reckon, what do you reckon was more grueling playing AFL for a whole season or doing the, doing training for an Ironman and doing the Ironman? Oh, I, I think AFL, um, the benefit of, of AFL though, is you're doing it with a collective group of people that are all in it for the same reason. So you've got 40 year mates and when you have a pretty bad day, you can just lean on one of those and then vice versa when you're having a good day, you know, you can try and um, pep the group up a little bit. Ironman is very much a solitary sport. You, you train on your own. Um, I was training before and after work. And then you compete very much on your own. Um, you're obviously against all the other people that are in the field, but there's no teamwork. There's no collision. It's, you know, if you're not having a good day, you're not having a good day. You can't just, you know, run to the bench and have have a three-minute breather. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, I, think, I think the Ironman in terms of, um, mental resilience on on the day and pushing through difficult times over a nine to ten hour period is is probably more challenging than AFL. But the bash and crash and need to front up week in week out for a twenty two week season plus finals, I think that takes the cake for for what's more difficult. Yeah. Alrighty. Um, pretty challenging, mind you. <laughs> You got married recently, is that right? I did, yeah. Congratulations. About that, like, was it was it what you imagined? Where'd you get married? That sort of stuff. What happened? Honeymoon. I didn't know we'd be going here, but <laughs> keeping you on your toes, um, mate. Yeah, good, good, good. Questions I've been asked before. Um, <laughs> I, uh, we got married up in Chittering at uh, at my wife's uncle's property. Um, lovely, lovely place. We we had a sort of quasi-elopement um, immediate family and uh, a couple of mates each. And yeah, it was, it was awesome. We had such a wonderful day, like one of those days where nothing went wrong, perfect, um, had all, all really important people around us. And obviously, you know, um, my wife's name is Belle. She, uh, absolute stunner, looked look great. And Played the part of, of bride fantastically. Um, she played a role. Yeah, yeah, she she absolutely nailed it. Um, she's actually her the reason she likes the name Bell is because of Beauty and the Beast. So oh, hey, um, yeah, I'm like playing that. the role of Beast in this, in this <laughs> scenario, and I'm doing it very well, I think. So, um, so no, it was good. It was it was awesome. Uh, re- a really lovely day, and and couldn't couldn't have asked for anything better, to be honest. That's good. Good. Um, so you grew up in South Australia, is that right? 
Can you just tell us about like the area where you grew up, that sort of thing? Was it a good growing up? Um, yeah, we call it the Middle East, so halfway between here and, and, and sort of some similar scenes to what's going on in the Middle East at the moment. It was, um, Adelaide's a great spot. It, it's got some of the cool parts of Melbourne in terms of culture and wine and things like that. Not that relevant when you're growing up, obviously, until you're 18. Um, but it's also got the beaches, um, you know, Glenelg and, and some really cool places to surf and, and a very coastal type feel. Um, I grew up in the southern suburbs, which is about 45 minutes from Adelaide, um, satellite, a satellite suburb. It wasn't um, the most uh, sort of affluent area, that's for sure. We spent lots of time playing sport, lots of time out on the road. And uh, yeah, pretty much sport, sport was very much my life growing up and, and a great outlet. You know, I, I've said quite a few times, one, one of the best things about footy growing up was if you could afford, you know, a $50 pair of boots, it, you, you were on equal playing field to everyone else. So it didn't matter whether the private school guys had the, the best boots and the best mouth guard and all the brand new kit you're effectively on an even playing field. It's not like you have to get a kayak or some kind of um, expensive tennis racket. You, you literally just rock up with boots on and, and, and there you go. And, and I love that because, you know, we, we weren't, you know, very well off growing up and, and um, scrapped pretty hard. So it was a great place for me just to sort of assume a different identity and just be very equal to everyone else that was out there. That's probably a good mindset going into... Um, games at a young age, I reckon. I think that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, and, and also you, when you grow up on the wrong side of the tracks, you you get a little bit of resilience and, and sort of uh, a bit hardened as well. So it's quite nice to have a hole in the boot and, and uh, rock up next to the guy that's got brand new brand new studs and run him off his legs. Or, Give him a bath. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> um, did you... So say, yeah, hanging out with your mates at like a local oval or whatever. Yeah. Are you the guy that everyone wants on their team? You just are you sitting hang- kids on their ass and taking hangers on their heads? Is that, um, was that you? Um, no, I don't know. I, uh, yes, it was. <laughs> well, I grew up, in a bit of context, I grew up in a, in a pretty, uh, quite a prodigious footballing community for whatever reason. We had a handful of players that got drafted from our local club, Happy Valley Vikings, um, that went on to play AFL. In my school team, um, we had myself and Adam Cooney that were drafted number one and number 11 in the same local school league. So I used to play centre-half back and he played centre-half forward and, you know, it seemed to be a pretty good duo between the two of us. Um, a couple of my mates who, who subsequently passed away didn't get drafted, but they were in the Australian AIS team as well, played under 16s probably would have been drafted in the top five for that draft. So we potentially had four kids in the top 11 draft picks in Australia, all playing at a runabout high school called Aberfall Park High. It was just, it was quite surreal, to be honest. And, and we, you know, obviously had a, had a pretty good team. So we would often divide up when we were playing mugby or out in the backyard, you know, at school. It was, yeah, it was pretty rough and tumble, that's for sure. Yeah, so the draft, you obviously got picked at 11 in 2003 with like some other notable names, as you said, like Adam Cooney, um, David Mundy, who's still playing, which is a testament to him. Um, yeah. Heath Shaw, Andrew Walker. But did you know that you were going at 11? And did you know you were going to the Eagles? And were you happy with that outcome? Yeah, I was stoked with the outcome. I didn't, I didn't know I was going to the Eagles. I, I had um, 
sort of inadvertently been told that I would go to the Kangaroos uh, and I'd, I'd get drafted. And I think that was pick nine. Um, and, and David Trotter, uh, who was a mate that I went through the RS with, he, he actually got picked up with that pick. And uh, so I was a little bit nervous when, when I didn't go at nine, not in the sense that I wasn't going to get drafted. It was just like, oh, you hear all these horror stories of people being told, oh, you're going to get picked in you know, yeah. top 10 or you're going to go first round. And then they don't. And then the other recruiters start to think, hang on a second, there's something wrong with this guy. And yeah. a guy, the captain of our under-18 team, David Kellett, he he actually missed out on getting drafted and made the All-Australian team two years in a row. He was quite little, but um, the, re- the rationale was, you know, he wasn't maybe fast enough and potentially some other issues that, you know, I didn't really understand at the time, but he was always in the back of your head, your mind, like, I don't want to be like Dave. And so your name doesn't get read out nine and you're quite nervous. And then Frio had picked 10 and they had said, look, we think um, we might take you at 10. And I was like, oh, wow. And I think um, they ended up taking Riley Dunn. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm starting to get a little bit nervous now. Um, anyway, West Coast took me to lead and Dave Money went 12. Um, and then Brent Stanton went 13. So it was, it, it all happens pretty quick. And, but the, the reading between one draft pick is about a minute. And it's like the longest minute of your life when you're 17. Then you're yeah. thinking, well, I'm never going to get read out. But look, everything ended up working out really well. And yeah, absolutely stoked to, to come over to the West. Did you, just before we go on to the next point, um, did you always decide, like, you're happy playing West Coast, probably just happy to get drafted in general. But um, did, was it like a dream to play for, um, Port Adelaide or Adelaide? Uh, it wasn't actually, no, no. And I, and I made that um, quite public in a lot of the meetings with the, the various clubs at the draft camp and leading up. Um, like I said, we, we grew up in a, in a relatively, relatively rough area and, and I really wanted an opportunity to live somewhere else in Australia and, and just focus on my footy. And uh, I love my mates and they were absolute champions, but uh, you know they, they weren't that conducive to being a professional athlete. So um, I still keep in touch with a lot of them. And uh, I'm, I'm glad from um, a professional standpoint for my career that I got to move away and, and uh, pave my own path in a, in a new state. And we played down to 16 National Carnival here in WA and uh, I just loved it. We, we stayed down at the White Sands in, in Scarborough, which, which now looking back is like, it's you know, a bit going on down there day in and day out. Um, and uh, just loved it. Loved it. Loved the city, loved the people, loved the climate. And so when, when I got the opportunity to come over here, I was stoked um, and never really genuinely thought I'd ever leave, to be honest. Very good. Um... So you get drafted, you go and you play your first game. It was against Essendon, correct? Yeah. Um, do you remember much of that or not really? Yeah, yeah. I remember like yesterday, not every every nuance. Like I've, I've never watched really, I don't think I've ever watched a full game that I've played in, including the grand final in 06. So I, have, I, I can't remember every kick and handle, but I remember the feeling of, you know, being on the bus and your family flies over from Adelaide and, and obviously it's a childhood dream. We played at Telstra Dome, um, which is what it's called then. Um, and it was that game that I think we, they, Essendon kicked the first nine goals, we kicked the next 10 goals, they kicked the next six goals, something crazy like that. And then James Hurd kicked the winning goal and jumped into the ground. Oh, it was that game? Oh, that's the game. Oh. So 
Um, yeah, it was the you know emotional roller coaster in terms of the game. Played played a lot of time on a guy called Andrew Welsh, and then another, a fair bit of time on uh, Mark McCurry, who was an absolute jet um, around that time. And I was obviously a young whippersnapper, seventeen, I think. So um, yeah, I remember I remember lots of it. It's, it's a hard game to forget because yeah. Purdy, you know, he just he was unbelievable and. Embers cost me and win my first game effectively. Right. So you didn't get the you didn't get the matchup on Hurdy at that uh, that stoppage, no. right? No, that wasn't no, no, no. <laughs> Even if I did, I wouldn't be telling you. <laughs> uh, heading into that first sort of season of playing in two thousand four, once you got drafted, um, were there any players in particular, like idols, heroes of yours, sort of that you watched when you were a little bit younger that were still playing? Were there any of those that you really wanted to play against? Um, yeah, two of the standouts. Two of the standouts were Nathan Buckley. I was a huge Nathan Buckley fan growing up, and Mark Rusciuto. Um, my manager was the same manager that managed Mark Rusciuto and, and Simon Goodwin. They're both Adelaide boys. So, as a way to sort of get you to sign, he introduces them to them and says, like, you know, how good are these guys? And so, anyway, um, Rue was a, a big uh, part of the South Australian footy community growing up and so I watched him you know religiously obviously Buckley was my favorite player and, and I got an opportunity to play on both of those guys really early on um the other one was Michael Voss who I got a chance to tag as well um Brownlow medalist just you know a, a pretty scary individual at that stage he was extremely tough and uh and quite ruthless on the field and this was before the days of behind the ground behind the game behind the goal cameras and things like yeah. that like he, you know, anything went. So, um, yeah, the, the induction into the AFL was a pretty pretty solid one, spending some time tagging sort of some of those bigger bigger names, bigger name midfielders. Um, was there any hazing period in the first season? Or is, it, is that like kind of a myth where they, they get you and they get you to do things or carry the bags to the bus, like that sort of thing? Oh, oh it's a bit of a myth. Yeah, it's a bit of a myth. If, if you... If you're sort of starting to show signs of not knowing where you fit into the ecosystem, then there might be a little bit of um, pegging and they might bring you back a couple of notches. But our boys were great. Everyone was was really um, supportive and we had a, re a really tight-knit group at, at that stage. And um, I think the really good advice that I got coming into the club was from a couple of second and third-year players, guys like Adam Selwood that just said, hey, this is how this sort of plays out, you know, align yourself with someone, you know, that you sort of, um, that you admire and how they go about things, just try and tailor them around, be respectful to the guys, don't fanboy at all, clearly that's a big no-no, um, and make sure you toe the line in terms of the rules and just keep a low profile and, and sort of build your reputation through how you train, how you go about things and then how you play rather than, you know, how much you talk and how loud you yell because, um, you know, actions speak much louder than words, um, particularly in, in the footy world. Yeah. Um, so you come into the 06 season and like Brisbane had kind of finished their like little run of their three mm -hmm. premierships. And it kind of seems like the, the premiership is kind of like up for grabs in a sense. Um, West Coast was a pretty good team to get drafted to because it seemed like they were kind of up and coming. Yeah. Um, but before you played the 2006 grand final, was there any like kind of vengeance for the uh, 05? Like I know you weren't a part of it, but like was that kind of like what the whole group was rallying around? Well, yes and no. It was it was a matter of like we just realised that we were so close. You know, we lost by a goal, um, and it was quite a meteoric rise from 04. So we played 
I think we finished seventh or eighth in 04 and we lost to Sydney in the, in the elimination final. And then 05, we ended up playing in the grand final. So it wasn't like we'd had this huge build up and that was our okay. one shot at the title. It was like, well, if we improve at a similar rate to what we improved between 04 and 05 in 05 and 06, we're going to give ourselves a huge shot. Um, and we knew that Sydney would get better as well. We knew that there'd be a whole heap of other teams that improve over that time. So the focus wasn't necessarily on um, vengeance. It was more around how, how do we find a way to be better? And how do we find a way for the whole, the collective group to improve? And that might mean that each individual needs one thing to work on. And then collectively we need to gel a little bit better in, in these in these areas. And, and we found that um, 06 wasn't smooth sailing though. Like we had a bit of a form rut leading into the mid to late part of the season. And then we turned it around and I think a game against Adelaide uh, at Subiaco beat them by, by about 10 goals. And that was the, the catalyst for us to find our form again. And then we just carried that through. And, um, you know, as everyone says, to win a grand final is, is uh, you know, you've got to have the skill and the team and, and to gel on the day. There's a huge amount of luck involved as well. And, and you've got to find a way to win at different periods through the season. You know, just looking at the prelim final, we were down by three, four goals against Adelaide on their home ground. And we turned that around and, and we ended up winning that game. That could have easily gone the other way. Um, we lost against Sydney in the qualifying final, uh, which which the year before we won. And, yeah. and we could have thrown our toys out the cot and said, oh, you know, we're, this is no good. So... Yeah, it's just a, there's a real element of resilience that's associated to winning a premiership. And it's not until you look back, like I was only 20 when that happened. So I was like, oh, this is easy. And after having lots of success coming through, I was like, oh, you know, how many premierships are we going to win? Yeah. Um, and we didn't, didn't even really get close. We played in a couple of prelim finals after that and, that, and that was it. And so, you know, the, the guys that won, win three and four premierships is just, it's insane, particularly in an AFL competition. Yeah. Um, when did it first really set in that you were playing in like a grand final? Was it when you won the prelim? Was it the parade? Like what, what really made you realize that you were going to play on the MCG in front of like hundred thousand? Oh, I, I think the build, the build up's pretty big and, and you try and keep your head down through that period when you, when you run out. So you, you run out and typically in a game you run out and there's people around the ground and you know, the opposition's warming up and there's, it's just, that's how it rolls. You run out the ground, the grand final, and there's a stage in the middle of the ground, and there's like already a hundred thousand people in there. It's an hour and a half before the game, and then you've got all this white noise, and you've got streamers and stuff. It's like this. It feels like I've just run out of the royal show. Like what the, what's going on here? Yeah, and that's the moment that you go. This is a big. This is actually a pretty big thing. And yeah, it's a huge deal. Inside, then you come up to the race, and the banner goes up, and the noise that that noise just can't be replicated. You know, to be to be on the ground and to hear that, it's um, it's surreal. And you can't hear a thing for the first quarter. Yeah. And then after a while, your, your ears adjust and the crowd probably just dials it back a little bit. And yeah, and and then you're just playing a game. Yeah, so that first five minutes of the grand final, it gets talked about a lot. Like every commentator says that, oh, the first, footy's really hot first five minutes. Was it really like that? And everyone was just yeah, crashing. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like everything's in fast forward. And... And the umpires let it go as well. So it's just, it's, you know, no holds barred. You just run around, do everything you can to get the ball and, and uh, do your absolute best not to, not to make a mistake and try and get your hands on the footy. Like, 
everyone just wants to touch the footy to get that kick off level to sort of calm the nerves. Um, and then, yeah, you do that and then you sort of get into the flow. And, and before you know it, it's publicly talked about quite a bit, but the, the phrase flow in sport and footy. And once you get into that flow, you can't, you can't hear anything. You're, just, you're not thinking about anything other than just playing. Um, and that takes, some, for some guys, they never get into that in a grand final. Some guys get into it straight away. Um, and I was sort of fortunate I managed to get into it relatively early. And then, then you just rely on your, you know, all the past experiences and, and your, your ability. And you're not thinking about, you know, I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that. And um, it just it comes, becomes second nature. It kind of seems like, well, from a uh, viewer standpoint, that when teams who play the grand final and teams who kind of play with a bit more joy and a bit more passion, the teams that come out on top. So it kind of seems like teams who play like, it's probably not the best way to put it, like under-14s footy, where you just kind of, you play on instinct and you, not really the game plan goes out the window, but you kind of play, just like get the ball moving and that sort of thing. Was that like, was that like that on game day or was it, um, was it more game plan structured? Well, yeah, it's meant to be game plan structured, but you know, Mike Tyson says it best. Everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face. And that's how the grand final goes. Like, you're like, we want to do this, this, and this. Holy shit, that's some balls on me. That guy's tackling me. So yeah. you just get, you just start to become a bit more um, reactive and you rely on your instincts a lot more. Um, and then the game does settle, obviously. And then, um, then you probably have a bit more, a little bit more structure, but... I think it's a pretty good assessment by by you guys that the teams that play on flair and and yeah. play with that sort of natural instinct tend to um, settle quicker than the teams that are just trying to play structure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the last five minutes of the grand final, um, you took a pretty neat mark. You probably remember that one. <laughs> Did you? What what was what was it like on the ground? Because uh, it was a pretty close game. What was it like with the with the boys? Did was everyone like we got this? Just hold on for a couple of minutes, or was it like? Like, what was the feeling out there? Um, yeah, so the ball was largely in their half and um, quite a few throw-ins and ball-ups. And, yeah, it's just batting down the hatches. You, you, you sort of, you know, I can't speak for everyone. I wasn't necessarily thinking, you know, make sure you're not the person that gets a goal kicked on you or anything like that. But you are hypersensitive. You just, like, every little movement is... You're trying to watch it and read it. Um, you're definitely playing much tighter than you would play normally, and you're not too worried about getting kicks or handballs. You're just trying to ensure that there's no score, particularly when it's one point of difference. So, um, yeah, it just becomes a very dour um, type of play, and lots of talk, lots of communication. So you're yeah. just talking to all of your teammates and making sure everyone's on the same page, and you know, with players crossing over and things like that, and blocking, just making sure that you're always handing over. Um, but yeah, we, we managed to, to hold them off. You know, it's one of those grand finals that could have gone either way you know, inside their 50 when the siren goes. You, yeah. You're only one kick away from, from losing or drawing and having to come back the next week like St Kilda, um, I think in 09 or um, I think it was 09. So yeah, it's, a, it's pretty intense. There's no yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, but And you can feel, you know, you've got 100,000 people watching you and a couple of million people at home. So yeah. it's... it's you, you tend to think about that retrospectively. It's like, it's a bit like, um, you know, when you're a kid and you don't have any real pain receptors and you just ride your BMX bike and do these crazy jumps. Yeah. And sometimes you fall off and sometimes you don't. And then you become an adult and you think back and you go, oh, that was a dumb thing to do. <laughs> and, and so for 
me in the grand final, I was never really thinking about you know the mistake or the what if, or it was just a matter of I've got to ride my bike and jump over the jump. I've just got to stop my opponent from kicking the goal, and and then we'll, we'll think about it in retrospect. Now I think about it, I was like, gee, you're so young doing that, and yeah, it's just a yeah everything. Yeah, it was a pretty cool experience. Yeah. Well, it would be pretty good if you got a you got a Norm Smith vote that day actually. So congrats for that. Not many people get that. <laughs> um, but when the siren goes in the after party, what was it like with the boys? Everyone just you know having a good time, just jubilation, really kind of relief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of. Um, yeah, there's the there's the emotion straight after the siren, and then there's a sense of relief, and then there's the realization that you're a premiership player, and then there's um, you know, almost like disbelief. You're like, wow, can I, you know, has this sort of really happened? And then, yeah, then you get a chance to celebrate with all, all the people from the club that have helped, you know, whether it be you know, boot stutters, sewers, physios, doctors. And then you've got all your mates that you've worked so hard together for a period of time. And, you know, guys like Drew Banfield, that was his second premiership, and he meant been at the club 14 years. And that's yeah. two premierships. You know, I, I don't have been there three years. Um, and other guys have been there nine, ten years, and that was their first first premise. So, yeah, there's a, it's a pretty um, it's a pretty emotive period, and uh, and then you have you obviously have things like um, you fly back and you get welcomed by we had I think ten thousand people at the airport, we had fifty thousand people at Subiaco Oval the next more on that day when we got back. Um, obviously, you haven't had that much sleep after winning a grand final in Melbourne. You're flying back, so. so and then you have Mad Monday, um, and then on the Friday you have the best and fairest, and then you know lots of celebrations in between that, where you just you're just spending heaps of time together. Um, you know, it's just, we were as I said, we're a really tight knit team, uh, and we yeah had a had a, a fun week that that week after the grand final. Do you have any? If you want to share them, uh, do you have any funny moments from your teammates uh, in the after party or like on the on the flight back? Anything that was a bit out of the ordinary or a bit funny oh it's, it's hard to remember I, I think um you know i think there's yeah it, it, it's, it's hard to remember <laughs> the actual details of yeah 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 that's all right <laughs> you um well you obviously probably remember it but can you run us through your first goal because it came after a couple of years and you would have known that you were probably going to play defense for most of your career so there would have been a bit of a build-up to it can you run us through, was it a goal that you contender or was it a set shot <laughs> from the top of the goal square? Uh, the, the absolute truth is I can't remember. I, <laughs> I can't remember. You kick that many snags, you don't remember? <laughs> 25. 25, <laughs> to be fair, 25. yeah. 25. Uh, no, I was, goals weren't that important to me. I can tell you my yeah. first spoil. <laughs> <laughs> <That's very good. laughs> I can tell you the first kick out that I had. Yeah, you know, lace out. No, I, I, I genuinely, I genuinely can't remember. I, I would like to make up some great story, but yeah. I, I can't, can't remember when it was. It was knowing me, it was probably soccer the ball through from about four meters out, with <laughs> my hands in the air like I was some type of soccer champion. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I got lucky a couple of times. I, you know, I played forward a few times as well um, as a bit of pinch hitter and. Um, yeah, I, that's that's about it. I I do remember I, I snuck forward in a in a um like a Anzac Cup game or Anzac Cup game. Yeah, yeah. Got preseason because I played against Fremantle, and uh, that was at the start of my second year, and and got lucky. I kicked three and a quarter, 
Jeez. And, uh, anyway, then I missed the rest of the year. <laughs> <laughs> so, so every time I went forward, I was a bit nervous. I didn't want to kick three and a quarter again because it had bad connotations around how much I after the fact. Um, how much pressure is there? Because you would have kicked out a bit. How much pressure is there actually kicking out of the, the box? Because I feel like if I was kicking out, I'd be so worried about stepping on the, the lines and getting the ball up. Well, they don't have it anymore. They just... Yeah, well, now they don't have it, yeah. They want. Um, yeah, you, you, there's a little bit. Yeah, particularly when you're a pretty rough kick like me. Like, I was never, I was never a major <laughs> guy. So you're standing there with a the ball in the hand. I'm like, oh, this everyone's moving so fast. Um, but, uh, yeah, just kick long and wide was my theory. It's the safest option. <laughs> One dream team came in, I used to just kick it to myself, so I got an extra stat. <laughs> you know, I'm glad you owned up to that because there'd be so many players today that do that. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, yeah, nothing, nothing sure of. Uh, you captained the club for a bit, is that right, at some point in your career? Can you yeah. tell us um, what did that, like how did that differ from just, I guess, your normal role when you weren't skipper? Uh, not, not majorly. What a few of the notable differences? You you speak to the team as a collective before you break up. You flip the coin. Um, you you probably talk with the coach a little bit more about where the team's at and what's happening. And you might have a few more people looking to you for for guidance. But um, you know, you sort of when you you're in a leadership position, you, you sort of assume that position anyway. So. We had a lot of guys in the team at that stage that were playing um, captain-esque roles. And so there was a lot of loud voices, had guys like Coxie. Glassy was out injured, obviously. Um, uh, Shannon Hearn was coming through. He was sort of starting to mature at that stage. And so these guys are giving it a lot of support. And so rather than it being a, a dictatorship of one voice, um, we had a very egalitarian approach to, to leadership where anyone could speak up and they did. And that was quite powerful that you, at, at any given time, everyone on that field was, was taking on a leadership role. So it didn't really change much for me. Um, often the pressure is the pressure you put on yourself to, yeah. to lead and, and make sure you do everything right. And, and that's a kind of a um, flawed thinking in itself because, you know, no one, even the best player in the competition is not perfect. Uh, so yeah, just got to try and keep, keep everyone's motivation up and, and, and try and keep that energy, energy going. And, and the other thing, and you've seen it a bit with Richmond over the last couple of years, it's trying to get to lean on people that have different strengths um, and to, for them to, to um, try and draw on them as well. So as an example, Chris Maston, huge, huge energy, high energy all the time. Um, so as a leader, you try and get engage him to bring a, a certain energy to the team and something that maybe you, you don't, like myself, I'm, that wasn't my style. So, you know, that was Chris's role. And then you've got other guys that are great communicators. And then you've got other guys that let their footy do the speaking. And then you've got other guys that are leaders in their, in their line. So if you can empower as many people in the team as possible, it makes the role of, of captain very, um, very easy, to be honest. Yeah. So pre-game, you're in the rooms. Um, someone's got tunes going, surely. Do you do you get um, control over that, a skipper, or do you have to let them do their thing? If someone puts a crap song on, are you allowed to take the phone and say, give me that, I'm changing this? Well, no one wants to listen to Celine Dion. 
<laughs> was that Chris Maston? <laughs> uh, Masto was was the music man for a long time. Um, in the early years, I think it was Chatty Fletcher and and Brawny. Um, and look, full responsibility. If you get bestowed on you the responsibility of, of the music, then you know, you're in control of the phone. So yeah, no one's coming in over the top. But yeah, we had some great tunes with you know, and, and uh, yeah, huge huge pump ups and a couple of favourite songs. And often they weren't songs that other people would know. They were things that we would listen to you know, out of the blue and put up. So it's yeah, big responsibility. But yeah, in my experience, Master did a fantastic job. Congratulations to Masto if you're listening to this. The tune in tagging in. Do you have a pregame speech that sticks out, like where you play in top of the ladder, or I don't know, you have to win a game to stay in the hunt for finals or something? Is there a speech that you remember giving that stands out? Get the boys up and about. No, no, no I, it, I don't know whether it's the same in every club, but our, our speeches were quite dull. Like they were, they were less. Um, less about that particular week and what the game meant to us and more around um, structure and, and you know, deferring back to what we know and what we know works. And so they were very pragmatic. Like they weren't like what you see sometimes in country footy where you get guys that strap the team to the bench and tie their hands down and like, how does it feel to be in quicksand, stuff like that. Like it's not, it's just not the way it rolls out in the footy. It's a bit more like, Stick to your structures, know your role in the team. You know, we're going to play this. We're going to, you know, work the ball through the wings. You need to talk to your lot. And so it's much more practical. Um, and then, yeah, if the, if the half time, you know, or three-quarter time, it's really tight. There's a bit of yelling and screaming, but nothing I can remember off the top of mine. Yeah. Um, speaking of yelling and screaming, you played under John Worsfold for a while. Um, <laughs> either you or one of your teammates, had, you remember a spray or someone that cops an absolute ripper from him uh, when you played at West Coast? On the field? Uh, either on the field or they come to the bench, get on the phone and they just get absolutely torn to pieces. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I do. I do. I remember one. Yeah, I won't, I won't say who, who the player was. But, yeah, that's fine. Um, and so... I, I was, uh, yeah, I was listening in and the player did something, you know, I, I think let his player kick a goal and then maybe, you know, turn the footy over. And, uh, and, and, and the big fella wasn't so happy about that. And he said that, <laughs> that effing idiot's never going to play another game at this point, <laughs> as long as I'm coach. <laughs> um, <laughs> and clearly it was, an, it was an emotional statement because he was a great player and he played the next week, but yeah. it was in the moment. Yeah. <laughs> I just like sat back. I was like, note to self, don't let him say that about you. <laughs> Very good. Um, you played with some pretty great players over your career, like, you know, Chris Judd and Ben Cousins, both winning um, Brownlows. Uh, were they as good as they were in person than on TV? Like, was it just like an awe to kind of watch them go about their way? They're better. Yeah. They're better, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The great thing about uh, it, it actually looks pretty easy on TV. Um, it, and, it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. And so when they do things that look hard on TV and you're on the field, like multiply that by 10. And yeah. it's just, there's no, I could never do almost everything that Juddy, Curry, Cars used to do. Um, like I said, I can remember the first time I spoiled the ball. That's how my brain worked. Yeah. These guys are just masters with the ball in hand and the way they moved. And 
you know, I remember, remember that in the prelim final against Adelaide and Jones was running down the field and stepped to the right and bounced to the left. Yeah. And then, you know, there's another example at training where he um, he got caught on video, actually. He was running along and he bounced the ball and it went over him and he flicked it back over the top of his head with his heel and, like, nothing happened. It was just, like, that's just standard practice. That's what he does. Yeah. So, you know, guys like him, Mark Lacroix was an absolute wizard with the ball, you know, the way they kick goals and, you know, um, do things downstairs, even the way they play table tennis and stuff like that. Like, just an <laughs> unbelievable hand-eye coordination that, that uh, is, is super impressive. So, those guys watching them real time was, is quite surreal. Yeah, because you watch as a kid, um, like, Chris Judd racks up 30 touches. You're like, I'm going to do that the next day. And then... <laughs> It's not as easy as it looks. Yeah, not six. Three turnovers. Three turnovers. Three handballs at Mr. Tone. <laughs> exactly. It's on the bench for three quarters of the game. Um, you won a most courageous award in uh, 2012 with I actually didn't know this with like with Joel Salwood. I didn't know that you won it with him. Do you reckon you were a bit robbed of the winning it by yourself or was it deserving <laughs> with Joel Salwood? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Like, who was it? Who's Joel Salwood? I don't know actually. Yeah. <laughs> Heard of him. Yeah, well, I think to be honest, it's quite um, it's quite an honour to share the award with him. You know, he's yeah. three or four time premiership captain. He's probably won that award four or five times. He's the most capped player in in Geelong's history now. Um, he's an absolute rock star guy, person as well, like absolute champion guy. So um, no, it was a it was awesome. it was a surprise for me. Like I never really looked at it like that. I never thought I was looked at by my peers in that regard. Um, so it was an absolute honour to, to share the award and, and uh, be named the most courageous player in the competition. Yeah, absolutely. So courageous player, big hits is what comes to mind. Okay. Mm -hmm. Is there a big hit that comes to mind for you? Did you absolutely floor someone and it's just stuck in your mind forever? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's a couple. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there are, yeah. I think the the big one was sort of before the rules changed as well. Was uh, two thousand seven in the qualifying final against Port, and I got Stephen Salapek, um, and that that was he got him straight down the middle, and it's yeah, it's, it was a big hit, and and um, yeah, it was it was clean. It didn't get reported or anything like yeah. that, and just just the planets aligned. He was sort of looking at the ball and I was looking at the ball and, you know, I managed to just get him right down the middle of the middle of the frame. Um, and, yeah, there's a couple of others that, you know, there's a couple of others that got in the way as well. But, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's only, there's one I remember on um, Jake Malcolm. That's the, that's one. Oh, that's yeah, exactly. One. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Jake. <laughs> there's another one on the guy from, uh, from North Melbourne as well, Lee. Lee Lisa. Adams, yeah. I saw that. The shepherd <laughs> behind the play, yeah, uh, copper. <laughs> that was the best yeah. of the lot. Yeah, I didn't get, I didn't get reported for any of those. So yeah, they were clean. They were clean. You were, you were, you were a good hitter, but a fair hitter. Well, fair. Well, fair. <laughs> you don't get most courageous if you're not fair. <laughs> you can't go hitting people in the head and get most courageous. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking about hitting people in the head. Um, or whatever Mike Tyson's line is, you got a game plan to get punched in the face. Um, you were playing the Swans and Barry Hall's infamous clocking of Brent Staker, I think it was. Yeah. Did you see that happen? Like, were you right next to that? Yeah. 
and did you go over to Barry or were you a bit sort of tentative? No, no, I went. I just went over him. Yeah, I asked him his favorite restaurant in Sydney. Had a chat to him. Yeah. Made, right, calm down, Barry. Made sure he was all right. Yeah, no, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. It was, it was, it was just brutality. Yeah. I'm all, you know, I, I like playing hard. And I'm all for, you know, if someone's going the ball and and things get messed up and the game moves so fast that if you collect someone accidentally, then then that's that's footy, you know. That's and but. Punching someone that's not looking on the field, and yeah. I think it's it, it. It wasn't the way that um, we played footy, and we had a great uh, rivalry between the two teams, and so I was I was pretty disappointed with that. And, and look, and you know, Barry's been on the record quite a few times saying he he genuinely regrets that. So it wasn't, yeah, it's it just dangerous. So I just yeah, I was in the in the vicinity, so I went and had a, had a chat. Mm. Yeah, it was it was a pretty uh, gruesome hit. But um, so when you come up against those sort of players, is there anyone that you kind of back never back down from? Uh, like if you had to match up against Barry Hall, for example, like were you a bit like, uh, or you like, I'm going to get you today? Yeah, oh, I don't know. I, you know, it's not a boxing ring. But... <laughs> okay, well, I mean, like you weren't going to sit five meters off him and like worry about getting. Uh, now, again, it's like that the the riding your bike example I used earlier. In retrospect, maybe when you see it on the vision, you're like, oh, he's actually a fair bit bigger than me. But no, you just, you, you, your just focus is on protecting yourself, protecting your teammates, yeah. um, making sure that we're doing everything we can to win. And that meant that meant if that meant putting my way, my body in the way of someone else, and that I did that. If it meant you know facing up to someone that was bigger and potentially stronger, then then I did that. And if it meant you know, running down the wing and bouncing a ball and kicking a goal. I couldn't do that, but I would like to have done that. <laughs> um, so I know it did, it, that stuff never really entered my mind. So it was just more instinctive. So you see something happen, you think that's not right. I need to, I need to intervene. Yeah. Um, what do you, how do you feel about, how would you feel about matching up against Scott Lysette? I, just someone that we really like. We like his mustache a lot. <laughs> uh, I played with Scotty. I played with Scotty. Yeah, 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 yeah. So how... Was he a good player to play against at training sessions and that sort of thing? Yeah, and... he is all right. He's a pretty fiery character. Um, yeah. We had a few good chats early on. He, he, he's an impatient bugger. Like, he got to the club and he wanted to have played 100 games. I was like, mate, you can't. It takes five years to do that. So <laughs> he's, just, he's, like, he's just like a, a rampant bull just wanting to get out and play. So, but yeah, he's he's a great competitor and, and you know, he's done some, done some great things. I think the move back to um, Port Adelaide has been a good one for him. Yeah. Um, fantastic moustache, excellent. Yeah. We respect the moustaches. I don't have one myself, I'm trying, but Aiden has one, so yeah. congrats to him. Thanks, <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so I'm not going to be a fanboy or anything, but you won a few awards uh, between 2010 and 2012. So 2010, um, you won an award that was the best, basically, WA player in, um, well, best player in footy in, in WA. What was that? What was it like receiving that? And, you know, did you... Did you expect it or you know, what, what came with it? Well, I, I quickly looked up who the judges were because I was like, <laughs> I should not be. <laughs> They've clearly got this wrong. Um, they've mistaken me for someone else. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, yeah, I was surprised, obviously. I, uh, it was, you know, it's a nice, a nice accolade and it wasn't our best year. We, we won the wooden spoon. So it was a tough, it was a tough year for us as a club and a team. 
But um, yeah, those those awards and you look back on them in retrospect and go, oh, that's yeah, that's a nice accolade. You don't you don't. It's not about not acknowledging them, but they're just um, part of the process, and, yeah. and and it means that maybe you're doing something right, maybe you're preparing right, maybe right preseason, maybe you're playing your role in in the right manner. So. Yeah, a huge, yeah, huge honor. Obviously, it's a it's a relatively big award, but at the time it was it was more, um, you know, just part of the process of, of us. And and the focus at that time was okay. How do we how do we get this team off the bottom of the ladder? Because yeah. that that means much more to me than any individual award. And we did the next year. We played in the prelim, lost to Geelong, um, twenty eleven in uh, at the MCG. Yeah, well. You talk about being a team player. I just want to quickly bring up your 2012 All-Australian. Um, do you still have the blazer that they give you? The green blazer? I never got my blazer. I got a... I got never a, got one. I never got my blazer. That's a good, that's a good point. That's a robbery. <laughs> no, that'd, be, that'd, that'd look great with a pair of chinos. <laughs> ridiculous. Rock up to any any party and be like, yeah, I, I was an All-Australian. <laughs> do you represent Australia in more balls? Or is that... <laughs> um, so we've talked a bit about your footy career, but I just want to do a couple um, rapid fire questions. Just first answer off the top of your head and I'll ask you a few. Um, so is there anyone in today's game that you'd want to play on at this point in time? So you're a defender, play on a forward. Could be anyone. Could be anyone. Yeah, uh, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of an open-ended question. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think... Tough one. <laughs> I can't give anyone <laughs> Buddy Franklin, I don't know if you probably would you probably would have matched up. Yeah, with him, I'll play on Buddy. Um, what about the how well am I going? Uh, Robbie Gray. Robbie Gray. Okay, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Did yeah, you play on the um are you more of a smaller defender yeah. kind of player or a key forward? Yeah, smaller. loose in defense with me, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Intercept marker. Yeah. Exactly. Um yeah. So your, your favorite, how about your, your favorite player today, just to watch? Favorite player today would have to be Liam Ryan. Yep. He's very exciting. Um, what do you reckon is the most important skill in footy? Could be the mental side, could be the physical side, or the actual kicking, handballing, that sort of thing. Um, I think uh, dealing with, with setbacks. Okay. Yeah, so that might be... The guys that can miss a kick and then hit the next ten might be miss kick miss a goal and or it might be you know getting injured and then being out front up the next week because I think if you can deal with those they typically build quite resilient players and they have long careers. Yeah, um, how much has the game changed since you played? I know you didn't retire that long ago, but let's say since two thousand six. Yeah, I think it's it's dramatically faster. Faster. Um, there, there's less contests. Uh, it seems higher scoring, uh, and there's you know a dozen rule changes. So um, I think the, the biggest thing for me is just the speed of the game. Okay, I owe you two dollars, Aiden. By the way, um, we thought, <laughs> we're taking bets of what, what would be the answer for that one. Um, were you ever close to getting traded at all throughout your tenure? Uh, maybe maybe not traded, but there were conversations with other clubs, like when the expansion clubs came in um, yeah. with Adelaide and Port Adelaide being home. Um, so there were the, the different options on the table at different times and never really genuinely entertained any of them. And you probably have to ask the club if they would look, look in the trade me. But, um, <laughs> I, I'd like to think no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
how good was the the Q-tips um, glove? Stick. It's not cute. It's cute. It's talking about Quentin Lee. I remember. I remember when one of the boys stole it and ran away with it. But he's still. I can't remember who it was, but he's like taking this mark and flipping it to the left. Yeah. And one of the boys that grabbed it and ran off with it. Where's he, where's he glove? He's a big boy. I probably wouldn't, wouldn't want to be taking his, his glove. <laughs> he's a big teddy bear. Yeah. He's a legend, Huey. Um, was, it, was, it, was it a block on Maynard or not? <laughs> 2018 grand final. No. No, okay. I, I agree. His eyes were on the ball, I think. Um, if you could steal one, uh, one player's skill, it could be Buddy's athleticism or Josh Kennedy's marking ability or anything like that. Who? What would you want? Uh, Dave Mundy's durability. Yeah, that's actually a fair call. Yeah. Um, would you rather have a game-saving tackle or a game-winning goal? Tackle. A bit of a tackle. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Um, who was the hardest opponent? The last one, who was the hardest opponent you had to play on? Oh, it's a bit of a funny one, this one. Um, Daniel G and Syracuse. Really? I, I just could, I could never get the in, in there, he never kicked a big bag on me, but just the way he played, uh, he was played a lot out the back, and I they put me on him every every time we played against the Bulldogs, and you know I'd rarely keep him under two goals. He kicked two goals, sometimes three goals, and and uh, yeah, I always found him the hardest player at any player I ever played on the outfield of playing. Actually, I just thought of another one. Um, best trash talker that you've come up against, or even on your team. Um, Aaron Hamill was good back in the day from St Kilda. Uh, Juddy said something that was was probably the funniest thing I ever heard live on the field. Yeah, um, and he was extremely quick witted. So probably probably Juddy. Very good. Um, in twenty fourteen, I think it was you won the Jim Steins Community Award. Um, you worked with the Can- Cancer Council. Is that correct? Yeah. Can you just tell us a little bit about like what sort of work you actually did with them and? and just receiving the award, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a you know, cool question. Yeah, that was a, a really cool moment. You know, the club, the club does a great job of providing um, various platforms for players to give back. And they've got several um, partners in that space, like um, Cancer Council and the like. And, and so I took on an ambassador role with the Cancer Council early on, 2004 or five. And, we had a campaign called the Dig Deep campaign where you, you know, buy a bracelet or a band from, from the local petrol station and we raised a heap of money. Anyway, I stayed involved um, for almost 10 years and raised over a million dollars doing that. Uh, and, and so that was just one of those campaigns that just kept growing and growing and you saw everyone with the Dig Deep um, bracelets on throughout the year and um, the game and met some really cool people through there. A great young girl called Chloe Cutts who subsequently passed away a couple of years ago now which was quite quite tragic but um yeah that was just a, a real passion of mine and and uh and then that led to other bits of involvement with um sort of some mental health providers like youth focus um the young men's project and got heavily involved in in those and yeah then pulled together sort of a, a bit of a, a, a the club pulled together a resume of some of the stuff i'd done um, sort of without my my knowledge and, and submitted it and, yeah, and won the award, which was, you know, the, the WA and Australian community have, have always been extremely important to me for for various reasons. And, and I genuinely look at them as the people that have given me a shot to fulfill my childhood dream. So to be able to give back to some of those that have had 
less fortunate times. Um, and ironically, the, I often get more out of it than I think they do. Um, was was great, and and I definitely commend our club and other AFL clubs for the work they do in that philanthropy. So you definitely say that's definitely one of the best things you've gotten out of footy, being able to create that um that kind of that foundation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. Million dollars. It's kind of crazy. Um, yeah. yeah, it's cool. But that that just shows the generosity of people, right? Like, yeah. there's a ride called the Ride for Youth. And yeah. youth focus run that. It's a ride from Albany up to Perth. You know, it's their 20th year this year. And, and um, my uh, my wife's um, dad's doing it this year. Um, she's heavily involved with her in, in her role. And uh, and then also a whole heap of friends. And I've done the ride five times myself. It's raised $26 million in 20 years. And, and uh, it's a whole heap of people trying to raise awareness around um, youth suicide and, and mental health in, in our youth. And to me, that reflects two things. It reflects the generosity of the community. Um, it also reflects the, the power of, of purpose. And, and it's just a great initiative. And that's just one example that I'm close to, but there's a numerous other examples where people put their hand in their pocket or they donate their time. Um, and I think it just shows that great community spirit that, that, uh, that Western Australians have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, last year, I think it was, you got awarded life membership with the Eagles. What do you get with that? <laughs> Your box aids. Well, I thought just... well, I was going to get my blazer, but I still... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go to Gazman after this call and I'm going to be like, yeah, I need to get a little emblem. <laughs> uh, I get a, um, you get a brooch sponsored by Rosendorf and that's just yeah, it's part of the process. But you get um, two life membership tickets um, forever. And so that gives you a seat on the landing um, in the Optus Stadium and you can get to go to every home game. Uh, and then there's several events throughout the year where all the life members get together and, uh, and sort of live uh, nostalgically through past performances and, and just catch up. So it's just a good way to keep all of the people that have been a big part of the club involved. Um, and for me, you know, having a couple of tickets, you know, as you're moving into family life, to be able to to take our our kids, you know, um, future kids along to the to the games, and you know, obviously Bell and I go now, it's just awesome. Yeah, very cool. Uh, you said earlier that one of the main skills is responding to setbacks. Um, you obviously had a ridiculous amount of injuries. Yeah. Can you run us through those? Let people know sort of all your setbacks, I suppose. You had played 120 games and you could have played a lot more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I missed more games than I played. Um, had, yeah, 32 surgeries, I think, over my career. Um, and really, yeah, it's quite a few. And then, yeah, plus you throw in a few suspensions and, you know, it's a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a lot of time on the sidelines. But had, yeah, couple of elbow reconstructions and you know um sort of minor knee injuries um broken foot uh so yeah you just my body just gave up a bit earlier than i would have liked ultimately the the shoulder was the thing that that finished me early and still had a couple of years to run on my contract and just just couldn't couldn't keep going couldn't i think i had five four or five shoulder reconstructions trying to get it right and and it just wouldn't um 
weren't able to get it, you know, stable enough to be able to genuinely contribute on, on game day, well, not even to get through um, training effectively. So the, the setbacks, particularly in the early years, um, were always about trying to find other areas that um, I could work on during that time. So if it was an upper body injury, go and spend time on your lower body, strengthening the legs or riding a bike. If it was a lower leg injury, maybe focus on mobility and, and upper body strength um, or cardio, um, something to that effect. So there was always, you know, there's always a flip side to the challenge that you're, you're going through. Um, and, and then there were other times where I was completely debilitated and then I'd focus on sort of uh, studies or, or work experience preparing for life after footy. Um, so as challenging as they were at the time, just try to look at them as an opportunity to, to focus on something that I wouldn't otherwise spend time on to be a more rounded person, more rounded athlete. Um, and then, yeah, it just got to a point where, you know, unfortunately the shoulder wasn't able to put up with the duress of, of professional uh, Australian rules footy. There you go. I think that's a very good way to look at it, sort of making the most of a pretty terrible situation. Um, well, that's probably all we got time for. So I want to thank you mainly for your time, giving sharing us your, your time stories today. and sharing your stories and hopefully a few flashbacks, a few fond memories. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's um, good. It's, it's always good. Lads. You, you're doing a great job and, uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to talk about the old days sometimes, not all the time. Um, but, uh, yeah, all the best and, and thanks for having me on and hopefully, uh, hopefully you just keep growing your um, subscription base and, and uh, yeah, keep killing it. Easy. Thank you. We we'll make sure we'll Make sure Gazman get that blazer to you as well. <laughs> get you. I'll make sure Masto references your podcast. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Too good. All right. Thank you very much. Thank All you. Right, Cheers. Thanks for your time.